0: Thank you, Chris, and good morning from me in the sauna that is church. I'll only be two and a half hours this morning and then we'll be done. Now, um, uh, let's jump right in to one of the most important passages in the Bible because the Bible repeats these two chapters over and over and over again throughout the Bible after this as the central message of what we believe. And we still preach it now and believe it now. These two passages are the heart of what we're about in church. I've been trawling through lots of churches online recently where they say, What what are we about? What do we believe? And they say, Oh, we help give soup out. And we if there's a bumpy road, we put tar in it and we help. We just help people. And I'm like, Are you going to say More. We need more. What's the central message of church? And sadly, so many of them stop there. And I love community works. And they're really important. And we've got loads planned for that. But you don't stop there. That's not the central message of what we believe in church. You see, everybody here has a problem. And the problem is, we have sin. And we're going to die because of sin. And so, what we need—and it affects you if you drive a Morris Minor or a Ferrari, if you're unemployed, or if you're the Pope—you have a problem of sin. And the problem is, people who know that around here need to know there's a place where they can have that problem solved, more than needing soup or uh, smoothing out bumpy roads. They need to know where to go if I've got guilt and shame, and the Lord God wants them to be saved and forgiven and in His family and at peace. And therefore, we need a central message and it's right here in two big themes. And we're jumping right in. The first one is, you guessed it, we have a God who cares about the firstborn. That's our central message. What does that mean? We worship a God who cares about the firstborn. Right. Right. Exodus 11, 4 to 5 Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight, I'll go through Egypt, every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the female slave, all of the firstborn and cattle as well. The theme of the firstborn, our central message, and one that lots of churches seem to be frightened to talk about at the moment. Put your hand up if you are the firstborn in your family. Yep. There's no age mentioned here. They fall under judgment um, in this regime. Any age? Firstborn. Now, I actually think this is an act of mercy, that it's just the representatives who have to pay the punishment for their sin. Um, Remember, this group have been murdering, pillaging, committing religious oppression, worshipping self, hoarding resources, committing immorality... Corruption, infanticide, genocide. If the UN was around there, they would have sent someone in after four years. But God and His patience, waited 400 years to bring judgment on this group. So the firstborn pay the penalty for sin. Why? And understanding is our central message to Christianity. Uh, what is the firstborn in the Bible? As we fly through at rapid pace, Well, it means two things. Number one, it means you're born first. Sort of. But that's not really what it means. The way the Bible uses the firstborn is in another way. A much bigger way. An important way. And it means this. The person in the family who represents the family has the inheritance, takes responsibility and passes it around to secure the future of the loved ones, carries the weight, Uh, You lot probably have watched Spider-Man or read it growing up. What does Spider-Man say? With great power comes... Great responsibility. responsibility. Brilliant. Um, That's like the firstborn vibes. I've got great power, man. I've got to represent people and look after them. So it basically means a person of status or responsibility. That's how the Bible uses the term the most. The firstborn. Um, They inherit... Now then. Uh, if you're the firstborn. If I were to steal a penny sweet. Children is that wrong? Stealing a penny sweet from the shop? Yes. Good. Glad we've got nods. Um, but the consequences though it's wrong and we shouldn't do would be small. What if the queen drove to a shop and stole a penny sweet? What about the consequences then? Would it be all over the news? Why? Because she represents us. She's almost like our firstborn representative. If Boris Johnson signs us up to a war, we all go in the war, don't we, together? Because the representative, the firstborn, to use it in the way the Bible does, has brought us into a war. He's like an image of the rest of us. An icon for the whole country who represents us. And here, the plague doesn't bring total destruction on the evil uh, regime. It's the firstborns who bear the punishment On behalf of the rest of the nation. Okay? Substitutes for the rest of the nation. Now, let me tell you how the Bible speaks of Jesus. All the way through the Bible. Jesus, the Savior of the world. Way before this event, Jesus in the Bible is described as the firstborn of God. The firstborn. Um, but not in terms of being born first, because the Bible also says Jesus has always existed because He's God. So He's used and described as the inheritor and representer and carer of all things. So before even He was born of Mary in the New Testament, He was eternally born of the Father. Eternally in charge of everything. And the Bible says Jesus is the, in Colossians 1, first born over creation. So if you go out and enjoy Roth Park Lake today, Jesus in charge of that. It's His. Uh, in Romans 8, it says He's the firstborn of church believers. So if you're a believer, Jesus is like the amazing version of you. And He's brought you in to be like Him and get to know the Father. In Hebrews 1, He's the firstborn over the angels who worship Him. They're just adoring Him. As uh, we did in song. And in Revelation, He's the firstborn over those who have died and are now in heaven. So the two church members we lost uh, uh, this week uh, safe in the arms of Jesus. He's their inheritance. He's looking after all those who die trusting in Him. The firstborn. The tragedy here is the Egyptians have rejected God's firstborn. Their Messiah. Um... And he is not representing them. And they don't want his inheritance. And they hate church and Jesus. And so they've chosen death. And now death comes. And they have to represent the whole evil nation. Other than the ones that do trust in church. And we're going to learn about that in the future. There are some that turn at this point. The lesson here for us is this. This is the heart of our faith. Jesus is our first born saviour the eternal Prince and Saviour, who, now ready for this, is a central message. If you've got sin or guilt or shame this morning, who shouldered the responsibility of our sin and shame and guilt and who dies in our place as the substitute for the nation of church and is risen again as our firstborn champion and shares his inheritance with us. And that's the message. And the point of this is how tragic it is that any firstborn has to shoulder guilt. God doesn't want that. He wants us to share in His firstborn. At Calvary, the Father would choose His firstborn son as a substitute to die for the sins of the church. Now, if you believe this this morning, Jesus is the prince of life, and he was slain for me at Calvary. You are safe in the arms of Jesus forever. Sharing in the inheritance of Jesus himself. It's really interesting that in Exodus 4, the Lord calls Israel, the church, his firstborn son as well. You are as precious to me as Jesus, says the Father. And that's the central message of the church. Sinners, welcomed in and so we share in well if Jesus is the firstborn of all creation we're going to share in that and he's going to share the world with us in the second coming and he's the firstborn over church believers in Romans 8 which he's he's our chief of staff now let me tell you why that's important my son he tells me dad some of the worried people in my class they've got worry bears I said that's interesting what's a worry bear well, they, if they're worried at night, they tell their worry bear their problems, and the worry bear gobbles them up and they go to sleep at peace. It's a worry bear. I said, That's quite cute. I quite like that. But, I said to my sons, we can go one better. We could go one better than a worry bear. I tell Jesus. I tell Jesus, and he deals with my worries because he's the firstborn over everything. He has more power than even the worry bear. And for those who have lost loved ones, He shares His life after death. He's the firstborn over those who have died and are now in heaven. What a Savior. And it only makes sense if, in this passage in chapter 11, as Chris read, how moving this is. This is Jesus. Listen. When the angel of the Lord said it was the firstborn who must bear the anger of God's judgment against sin, he wasn't speaking dispassionately, this angel, or at a distance. In saying this, he's prophesying his own death sentence. This is Jesus-centered theology. The firstborn in our place. And then the second part, to wrap all this up, the central message of the Christian Gospel is the God of the Passover. The Passover lamb. If you're not a Christian, you're asking, what is God like? Well, listen to this. Exodus 12, 12-13. Uh, to 13. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of the animal and the peoples. I will bring judgment on those evil gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I judge Egypt. So this is the festival of Passover because the Lord would pass over the houses marked with the blood of a dead lamb, freshly killed, because only death can avert this coming death. It's that powerful. That's how serious sin is. The destroying angel is going to be turned aside because there's blood of a lamb sprinkled over the doorposts of people who want to be safe. And now we're touching on the church's ancient creed, which we still carry today, and it's sad that so many churches pull away from lifting this message up. Here is the central message of church, the Passover meal after this, and in what Chris read in chapter 12, is to be repeated every single year in the life of the church ever since this moment. Right up until the Last Supper, which we call communion, where the meal of the cross would be lit up. And here we have a testimony of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love communion? I do. It's our central message. It's the saving message. Do you remember in Luke chapter 22 at the Last Supper? The Passover Supper. At the time of the Passover. Where they were remembering this. The bread and the wine were there. What about the Lamb? Well, it was Jesus Himself. The Passover Lamb arrested that very evening and crucified at the feast of Passover. The Lamb's blood Has been the very front of church thinking from them until now and forevermore. All our sins, our grief, our guilt under the blood of Jesus, my representative, penalty paid, whatever I've done. So let's go there as we close. The Passover lamb had to be a male, now you know why. It had to be without defect. Now you know why. Because it has to be a perfect person who's going to take up the sins of the world and beat it. It's not some cheap old thing, this lamb. It's without spot. And chapter 12, verses 2-3 to asks you to bring him into your house for four days so you get to know him and it becomes intimate. Because the Christian message is an intimate thing, isn't it? We don't take it or leave it. And on the 14th day of that month, it lays down its life. And you paint it with hyssop on the door. And we'll get into hyssop one day. And then what happens? You eat the lamb. And by his death, you get stronger and energized. Because you're about to be free from slavery. And you're heading for the promised land which is heaven. And this lamb has given you strength. And judgment has passed over you because of this lamb. And you wake up the next morning and you think, There's lots of people judged, but I'm not. But I've got sin. How is this be? Ah, that lamb died for me. Jesus died for me. And that's why when John the Baptist finally introduces Jesus in the New Testament, he wants to remind us of the central message of the church. And what does he shout when Jesus walks up? He could say, behold the Son of God. But he doesn't. He could say, behold the Word of God but he doesn't. He could say, behold the Christ of God, but he doesn't. No, he wants to remind us the foundational identity of Jesus is this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What's God like? He sends His Son to be a bleeding victim because He loves sinners so much He wants them forgiven and free. So come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you full of pity, love and power. Let's pray as we close. Our Father in heaven, we come to Jesus wherever we are on the walk of life. We bow the knee. We repent of sin. And we ask Jesus to forgive us and to save us and to grant us new life, everlasting life which goes on into eternity. Share His inheritance with us, Father, His salvation. Grant us Your peace right now. In the name of Jesus we ask Him. Amen.